Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. What do you love about music? To begin with? Everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. As solo artists and producers, Killer Mike and LP have had plenty of critical acclaim. But now, with their project Run the Jewels, they're known worldwide. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. We're joined by the hip-hop duo Run the Jewels for a special live interview and performance. And just in time for Valentine's Day, singer-songwriter Father John Misty explores love and hate. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and Greg, later in the show, we're going to review the second album by Father John Misty, formerly a drummer, Josh Tillman, known as drumming for Fleet Foxes and other groups in the indie rock underground, has now stepped out as a singer-songwriter. Hasn't happened a lot in rock history, but it's kind of notable when it does, right? Phil Collins in Genesis, Skip Spence in Jefferson Airplane and Moby Grape did it, Phil Collins from Genesis, Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters. We're going to find out how Father John Misty did later on in the show, Jim, but uh, first we've got some music news. That's Heart is a Drum from the Grammy-winning Beck, Grammy winner for Album of the Year for Morning Phase. Huge upset, Jim. I mean, I think everybody was anticipating that Beyonce, with that self-titled album that she put out at the end of 2013, was going to win the big award. And if it wasn't going to be her, it was going to be Sam Smith with his debut album. But Beck comes away with this award. Now, I got to say, this strikes me as one of those too much, too late kind of awards. I I did like Morning Phase, but I think he's made better albums in the past. For example, a lot of people have drawn the comparison between Morning Phase and Sea Change, the record he put out in 2002. A much stronger record. Also a contemplative kind of melancholy record, which, yes, a much stronger record. You know, you go back to something like Odelay in the Mm -hmm. 90s. This, at best, is maybe Beck's third or fourth best album. But, you know, you think about somebody like Steely Dan winning a decade plus ago over Eminem or Herbie Hancock winning later on in his career. I kind of put Beck in that category. Well, Kanye West obviously uh, disagreed with Beck getting the prize. He showed up, looked dour, standing there. He didn't say anything, but later he had some comments about why uh, Beck didn't deserve that prize. Flawless Beyonce video. And Beck needs to respect artistry, and he should have given his award to Beyonce. And at this point, we tired of it. Greg, you mentioned this earlier. Uh, the Grammys, in terms of the big awards, after Beck's prize for Album of the Year were a coronation of that British soul singer Sam Smith. He won record, song, and best new 
artist. I am not a big Sam Smith fan. He's a fine singer, but you know the material. Uh, my friend uh, in New York, rock critic Glenn Kenny, had it best. He said, "This is Anthony and the Johnsons as filtered through Susan Boyle," <laughs> and that's the sort of thing the Grammys love. It's a little harsh, but uh, there is some accuracy there. I mean, my big problem with Sam Smith is not so much the voice, which I think is, is definitely there. It's the quality of the songwriting. We'll, we'll see if this is able to hold up over an extended career. You know, the other thing that struck me about this telecast, Jim, was the nostalgia factor. Trying to draw in these older viewers, it didn't work, obviously, because their ratings were down. But that's really what this show is about. It's a television show attempting to attract viewers who can then attract advertisers to the network. You know, you had ACDC opening it, you know, and I love ACDC, but I don't know if that's the tone the Grammys want to set when they're talking about rewarding artistic excellence in 2015. You had ELO performing apropos of nothing. I'm not quite sure why ELO was on that show. And LL Cool J, I loved him, you know, when he was putting out I Can't Live Without My Radio. But that was 30 years ago. I don't know how he gets time off from investigating murders. I don't know. (laughs) And then you have these weird enforced kind of duets and collaborations. And it's it, it just doesn't work a lot of the time. Why is Paul McCartney up there with Rihanna and Kanye West? He was just window dressing up there. Tom Jones and Jesse J, no chemistry there at all, it seemed like to me. Ed Sheeran being backed up by John Mayer, Questlove, and Herbie Hancock. And then I think Hosier, you know, having his 15 minutes kind of interrupted, really, really hijacked by Annie Lennox. She's amazing. We make this point every year. We cover the Grammys more as a pop phenomenon and because of what it does to record sales. Beck already is seeing a big bump in streaming. We think he'll see a big bump in album sales next week. But in terms of what you want to put in a time capsule and come back to in 20 or 30 years, we always think that the Village Voice Pez and Jop poll, which came out this year early in the new year, it's a poll of several hundred rock critics across the country. They've done a much better job of singling out the albums that are worth coming back to. D'Angelo, Black Messiah at number one, Run the Jewels, our upcoming guests at number two, The War on Drugs, St. Vincent, FKA Twigs, Sturgill Simpson, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift at number seven, Angel Olsen, Spoon, and Against Me at number ten. You know, I'll take that over the Grammy winners any day. Bunches and bunches, punches is thrown into your frontless. Oodles and noodles, bang bullets at suckers' noodles. Last album voodoo, prove that we was brutal. I'm talking crazy, half past the clock is cuckoo. You rappers doodle, baby, just basic boo boo. I'm talking soodle, master moose my money buku. My beats is banging, but you rapping, who produced you? I slap the snap, take what you got and run the juice you. You see bitsy, furry, frightened, and freaking sickly. A little quickly. Display for winter swimming. Look at these kitties, Mike. I'm a rat a tat up for living. I deal in dirty work, do the deed in a dash. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that's the song Blockbuster Night Part One by the hip hop duo Run the Jewels. That's a collaboration between rapper producer LP and rapper Killer Mike. 
Both artists have individually appeared on our best of list through the years, but it was really when they came together in 2013 to release a free album under the moniker Run the Jewels that both artists' profiles grew. And then, Jim, the two performed sold-out shows across the country and released a follow-up, Run the Jewels 2. Now, again, this is a free album, but it still deserved a buy-it rating on our scale. So when they came through Chicago on this tour, we asked them to stop by the Goose Island Beer Barrel House for an interview and performance. And we wanted to start the conversation with the project's origins. Jason DeMarco, an executive at Cartoon Network who had previously worked with Mike, suggested he team up with LP for his follow-up to Killer Mike's 2012 album, Rap Music. Now here, Killer Mike describes that first recording session with LP. I was familiar with L's work in the Perithial, but he had me listen to a Jeezy remix that L did. I was like, this is nasty. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? My, and my question was like, why didn't Jeezy go do a whole album with the guy? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I got in the studio with L, man, and like fell in love within the first two hours fell in love with the tracks our conversation we were the same age we had very you know similar opinions on stuff and the stuff we differed on it was a cool argument if nothing else i remember leaving the studio that they calling jay like he has to do the whole album and i just started bombarding l with phone calls <laughs> I, yeah, I, I said absolutely not <laughs> nope <laughs> and l was like no Absolutely. I have an album to finish. I like you a lot, kid. Get away from me. (laughs) Well, what's interesting to me about that year, because rap music was one of the best albums of that year. I think the Uh, best. It was an incredible record. And (laughs) he put out a record. You had a little contention. (laughs) What I was going to say is that L made a great record, too. Cancer for Cure that year as well. Absolutely. That was my choice for the best record of the year. And you went with his. But we split it down. We're not mad at that. We can live with that. In some ways, your solo careers were never in a better place uh, as a result of just the attention you were getting. Yeah. So, L, what was it about, you know, the collaboration here that made you think, okay, we, you know, I'm going to set what I'm doing as a solo artist aside to work with this guy in, in what became Run the Jewels? When we met, we were both kind of at a crossroads to some degree. We hadn't put out any material in a while, and we were both sort of newly, I think, determined to, to, to make some, you know, to do some good work. And um, that's why Run the Jewels happened is because we were sort of riding high off of that. We were um, touring together and we had just worked on two records together, essentially. And became friends. And became friends and we were, and we were um, on the road. And I, it was, none of this was planned. Basically, the answer is that none of it was planned. We didn't really make a decision to set anything aside. We've just kind of been going with our guts. I mean, even me saying yes to him, 100% was against what I thought that I was going to do. Mm. And, and I just, he broke me down. The cuddly bastard broke me down. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm really glad he did because we ended up just letting things unfold. And, and, and we just kept our sort of minds open. And, and so when it, when, when it came time for the Run the Jewels project, that wasn't even Run the Jewels until sort of midway through the project, you know. Um, originally, that was just going to be a solo LP thing that I was going to try and release, and I was getting ready to go in and do some sort of EP or something that I would release between records because I had this history of releasing records like every five years, and when, you, when you're like 35, you start to realize that maybe you should speed it up a little bit. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to work. And, um, and Mike wanted to work and we were touring together and the vibe was so good. And he was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll join you on the EP if you want. I'll be on a, I, I you know, be on a song, be on a couple of songs. Mm-hmm. And we got into, we got into the studio and it turned out that he was on every song. And, um, 
And sort of midway through that, we were like, okay, I guess this is a group EP. And then a couple of friends of ours, Jason DeMarco, and uh, like friends of mine, like Little Shalimar, who also produces on the record, we're just like, you guys would be crazy if you don't keep going, if you don't make this a record. So we did. And sort of we looked at each other after about a year of touring the Run the Jewels record and saw the reaction um, with, with, with people listening to it and the shows and the energy. And we were having a lot of fun and it was successful. And we kind of looked at each other like, is this, do you want to do it again? <laughs> you know, like yeah. there was no, you know, there, I don't think that we're, we look at it like we're putting anything aside. Um, that stuff is going to be done too. I mean, unfortunately, I'm going to be working with Mike probably for about 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> he says, unfortunately, Mike, but he called you a cuddly bastard. And I read a great quote uh, that Elle had and said, you don't think at 35 that you're going to meet your best friend for life. You don't. And he feels like he did. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, we're just, you know, I mean, we tell each other we love each other and we argue every day. I mean, that's, if we were gay, we'd be married. You know? <laughs> or divorcing. You, you have a wife. You know yeah, that's going to be I the do, pull I have quote, right? But she always says that. She always says that. I, I, I joke and kid with her all the time because she doesn't get up very early since she's from here. I'm like, you need a wife from 6 in the morning to noon. We need a second wife. She's like, you're already married. You an elder. <laughs> There's no way I'm escaping this interview with my pride intact. Is it? No. <laughs> I'll be the wife. I'll let you earn the dough. I'll be a tradition. I'll cook for you. Wash do you, your do, back. Do you cut his hair? I will. I own a barbershop, so I want to. My my goal is to get good enough to give him a hipster cut. Uh, but I, I I just say that because I truly I truly meet you meet you meet soulmates in life. You meet people who you're bound to be with. But L is one of those people in my life. When I met him, I knew that I was supposed to know this person. I knew that I had things to learn. I knew I had things to share. And I knew that whatever energy we created on music together was special. Like, I knew I could rap good. I knew I'd worked with great producers before. But that's not the same thing as special. You know, with, with saying that, I am honored to say this is my friend. You know what I mean? I really am happy that serendipity brought me to a point where I was open for friendship. Because I had, after Pledge 3, Ellen and I talked about this. At some point in our solo careers, we just pushed everybody away. Like, I made Pledge 3 totally by myself. It was the last album for rap music. I wouldn't let anybody in the studio. I wouldn't see anybody. Um, Elle and I had found each other in a place where we pretty much <laughs> separated ourselves from everybody we were known for being around. So I'm just thankful that the universe brought us together because if not, I wouldn't be sharing these moments with thousands of people. Because as a kid, that's all I ever wanted to do. I didn't know you made money and paid a mortgage with Raph. I just thought you made thousands of people happy like the groups I was watching did for me. This next song is dedicated to the people of Ferguson. Here's Killer Mike and LP with Wait the song in. Early, live on Sound Opinion. If you can put your hands in there like this, it's just one thing. I be feeling like the life that I'm living, man. All control. Every day I'm in a fight for my soul. Could it be that my medicine's the evidence of pick the stop of frisbee when they roll around the patrol? And ask why you're here. I just tell them because it is what it is. I live here and it's what it is. Anytime you gotta die. Said, man, I'm trying to smoke your shit. We don't lock me up in front of my kid and in front of my wife. Man, I ain't got a gun or a knife. You do this and you ruin my life. And I apologize if it seems like I got out of line. Because I respect the passion of God. And I pray that today ain't the day that you drag me away. Right in front of my beautiful son. And he still put my hands in cuffs. Be in the truck when my woman screams, stand Shut up. up. A woman with the camera phone uh, off, so the couple pull his gun and put it on my gorgeous screen. As he go down the top, but I can see my other hammer him, a little boy to scream. As he ran toward the cover, make him not to hurt his mama, and he had a face down in the ground. And I'd be much too weak, never speak what I see. I'm a life change with that sound. Have mercy. 
Run the Jewels live on Sound Opinions from the Goose Island Beer Barrel House. They've got quite the romance, huh, huh Jim? <laughs> <laughs> they love I mean, each other. Well, coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, we've got more with the duo. And later, we review a new album from up-and-coming songwriter Father John Miskey.
One time for the big One time for the peel in the reaper man. It's the young black leader to the people, man. If your girl find my eater, man. I'm talking middle of the mall like a Peter, man. A got high now like Jesus, man. And no law did reap so potent. Got an anti-gravity and nicks they flow. Didn't rob me, bitch, but be dope. Bop, pop, pop, pile, tip, play, owe me. One half best tag team ever. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And our guest this week is Run the Jewels, a collaboration between hip-hop artist Killer Mike and LP. During a special taping of the show from the Goose Island Beer Barrel House here in Chicago, we talk with the band about their successful rise. Both Killer Mike and LP have had critically acclaimed solo careers, and each artist was on his way toward releasing another record independently. Then, their friendship and creative synergy really compelled them to team up. As LP puts it, when he and Mike went out on their first tour as Run the Jewels, the audience didn't even know they had solo careers. We just assumed that we had to do solo sets. You forgot, we actually start asking ourselves, who were these weird kids that right. weren't moving? There'd be kids that'd be there. They were there for our material, you know, they were, they were polite about it. Yeah, but know? they just, it was just kind of like, it was like the warm up oh, act. Okay, yeah. that is nice, old man. Yes. <laughs> Bring I, around the jewels. I appreciate that record from 2003. It, yeah. Thank you. And, 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 and it, got, it literally got to the point where we felt weird, and then we'd play Run the Jewels, and these kids would go, Bat crazy, just almost as if they didn't know that we were the same people that were just on the <laughs> yeah. stage. Like, we just like, <laughs> Who's this opening at? Yeah. <laughs> like we literally were just in front of you for a half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what it is? I think it, a lot of it is like the buddy cop movie that they never had. Right. You yeah. Know? It's a younger audience, yeah. but it's like a throwback to like these '80s groups where two yeah. guys just having more fun yeah. than yeah. any one person could possibly have yeah. on stage, and that yeah. seemed like. A definite throwback to what you guys grew up with. That energy, like the 48 hours Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy energy, you know, where like that we grew up with in the 80s, where they just like mastered that movie, you know, that there were a bunch of those movies, but that's something, and I don't really think that that's really translated into subsequent generations no, as well. No, but it's fun um, when they see it, you know, because they, they're not used to that kind of thing. It's like, wow, this is a lot of fun. I think people respond to genuine energy. I think people respond to. Like when we and Mike are on stage, man, we we are genuinely giddy about it because it's such a release, and we enjoy doing the, the music so much. Well, the fun is palpable, but for people who don't know the music, there's a lot of anger on this record too. Absolutely, just as there was like I would say, outrage. Anger is fun. Yeah, you guys have in your target something you call for truncating on public radio purposes the F boys. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I think I think if it was sixty eight in Chicago, you know, we would say you guys are against the man. Yeah. What what are you talking about when you have those people in your sights? It's just a term when I was coming up as a kid, just for the kid that was just a sucker. He was just like, if if you guys plotted to, 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 you know, to cheat on the test, he was the one that was going to snitch to the teacher. You know what I mean? If if you got away with not going to church, he was going to tell you weren't in Sunday school. It was just like, dude, like, why do you? And a lot of times he was one in your day circle. someone's going to come up with a name for you. Yeah, just like, man. And it was just like, that was the, the name when I was a kid. Like, ah, oh, he's an F boy. Like, you know, like, and he's still in your neighborhood. It's not like you hate him, but just like, you're going to do something dumb. You're going to fight in the front row. You're going to grow into power. 
for lack of a better. Yeah. It translates to to a bigger, you know, yeah. socio political perspective because, like, really, like, I think when we t- when, when we use it in that term. I think that Run the Jewels, if anything, if we have a stance on the record that I've listened to it, it's like if, if we're saying anything, I think we're sort of the enemy is um, is hypocrisy to a yep. degree, you know, and it just feels like that's really where our heads were at. And, you know, all, all of the sort of amalgamations and and uh, sort of composites of people that we all put under the umbrella of, you know, F boy, they're fit. Political or whatnot, or just personal, but like you know, when it when it, when it goes to the political realm, I th- and I listen to this record. I think that we really are. There's something that me and Mike connect in sort in our repulsion of hypocrisy, and I think that that's really, you know, that's the enemy. I think to a degree, and because we don't want to be hypocrites, and because we feel that we're not, we also let ourselves be ridiculous, and we let ourselves be obviously lying. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I, you know, and the the point is like. I, you know, for these records, everyone is in on the joke. We're not pulling the wool over your eyes. We're not, you're not the joke. The listener's not the joke. Like, you know, we're all the joke, kind of. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It almost gave you permission to have this kind of holiday, because I think both of you guys had this very serious reputation. You guys made yeah. serious records that were, like, attacking a lot of levels of hypocrisy in our society and our government in, in your, your neighborhood. You know, you talk about, you know, drones over Brooklyn. I mean, you know, it's like you don't have to go overseas to see that kind of surveillance. You can come right to my neighborhood. Yeah. And a year the later, there were drones over Brooklyn. Yeah, there, yeah. and there you go. But now this Run the Jewels thing, the humor has sort of taken it a life of its own. I mean, I haven't heard that term. It's a street slang that last was around the like late 80s, early 90s. And I'm starting to hear the guys on ESPN using it when they're describing an interception or a fumble. And I know that those guys are closet run the Jules fans. They're listening to your record. But explain the the origin of that term, because I think it explains a lot about where you guys are coming from as, as a duo. Well, the origin of the term is, is just, is, like you said, it's street slang. It's something that was around and that popped up in rap songs. I learned it from rap songs. And I learned it, you know, I was a kid in the 80s in New York City, but that was a popular term if you, if you heard Run the Jewels and you were, you were getting robbed at gunpoint. I remember listening. I, had, I, I always loved that line at the end of the LL Cool J song, uh, Cheesy Rap Blues, where he's talking about how he lost everything. It was this sort of fictional tale of him losing everything and and getting desperate and at the end he goes throw your hands in the air wave them like you just don't care keep them there run the jewels i'm the man that they're laughing at they say cheesy rat you ain't all that And then, and then, you know, it's sort of grown in concept. And that's, that's the thing I like about it. It's like the uh, Run the Jewels, as we defined it, has, has, has just grown in the hands of everybody else, you know, and in the hands of the people that have listened to it. And we're always amazed at how kids are defining Run the Jewels now for themselves and, and making it even bigger than we could have imagined conceptually. And then, when, you know, relating the... the, the the th- you know the the name back and it starts to feel like what we're saying is you know we're taking this life you know that's sort of what we're saying I think um, and I don't want to get too deep because we're also talking about shooting poodles but to some degree really that's what it's turned into us you know like a like a, a statement and and um, a purposeful statement of intent you know like run the jewels like we're taking it 
everything from our pride to our truth to our mistakes to, you know, to our world. And, and I like the fact that we can give that attitude to someone. Like, hopefully there's some kid. I learned my attitude in a large part to rap music, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I like that. I like the fact that me and Mike can give something that's not unattainable, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, the only thing that makes us special is that we have an attitude as opposed to us having, you know, money or having, you know, success or whatever that, we, that people put out there. A lot of, a lot of I'm not going to ramble too much more, but a lot of, Rappers, I feel like, are just kind of standing there for you to witness. And that's one way to do things, you know, but it's a disconnected way. And I think that we're presenting something that's like this for you to be a part of. Um, I hope anyway. Here's Run the Jewels live from the Goose Island Barrel House with the song Angel Duster on Sound Opinions. This is called Angel Duster. Let's go. Done. 
That means when I die, I'm gone. That's it. My style is a one of one. One hand for the great. RTJ, the feed in the odds with the war with the guns are not let's go. Hey, 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 RTJ, to the top to the no one. With a nod to the masters. RTJ, to the ones with the riches. From the ones to the rags. RTJ, to the smoke for the guard boys. A little nod to the spirits. We're still here, brother, I'm screaming. Let's get that point and laughing. Y'all hope for the living. Y'all pray for the dead. In the sky, got whiskey and wine for the voices in my head. Got pushed for the pain. This world is dangerous. Driven, breaking, insane. Hanging itself with angel dust. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Everybody, this is DJ Trashstar. Thank you so much for having us. I hope you were mildly drunk. I love you all. Thank you. Run the Jewels with Angel Duster live on Sound Opinions. Let's finish up our conversation with Killer Mike and LP. Greg asked the group about the difference in tone between the first album and the second album released last year. So, Mike, i got to ask you the transformation. that The first record was almost like a, a holiday, I thought, yeah. for you guys. The second record, much more intense in terms of just getting deeper into stuff the way I think you guys do individually. Yeah. What made you? What made that transition from? Hey, we're just kind of doing this, you know, fun buddy cop movie on the first record, and now we're doing something a little more serious on the second record. What accounts for that transformation? Well, it's a few things. I think that. Um, I think that you know, once we realize, okay, we are a real group, then the real pressure is on when it's a when it's a one-off thing that we're doing. You know, the first almost was an homage to the rap group. So we set our rules. We're going to be a real group. It's going to be like an EPMD. The music is going to be of quality. It's not just going to be single bass. It's going to make a whole thing. You know, we, we held up to the first group classic record standards. And then when you become a real group, you're like, oh, my God, this is the pressure that real groups face. And that's making sure your next record is better, better than your first. And because your second record is honestly what defines you. We challenged ourselves. We sat there and said, we know we have to do more. We have to bring some of what we are as human beings from our solo records into this. And it started off kind of rocky because we wanted, I think, just to get straight to it. And we started off building almost the records that felt like an extension of what the first record was. They were they were brawny. They were they were brolicky. They were mean. They were funny. They were outrageous, pugnacious. But they they didn't 
lock in. And we really fought hard to make sure, because there were times in this record we could have just said, all right, the stuff we got is jamming, is dope. We can just do this as a part two. People are going to love it anyway because we can get out and tour. When we did Crown, for instance, that record happened at three in the morning. It was a freestyle. It was cold. It was, I was angry because I was cold. I was <laughs> mad. It was, and that record just poured out of me. Then it took like I, I hear month. you really didn't like, uh, Elle's idea was we're going to go to the upstate New York yeah. and we're going to be surrounded by nothing. Yeah. And you were like, where's the weed? Where's the stripper? Where's the bar? <laughs> <Just> straight up. <laughs> straight up. I've been I'm, to upstate New York. Buffalo today? Exactly. No good, man. Exactly. I'm like, man, the only time there, so I, I really, really, about. besides making music with Elle, the only time I want to be in a mountain with a group of men is if we're hunting and killing and eating things or fishing. <laughs> I don't want to just be here, bro. Like, so I fought through that, and, and it was like the records start coming together. And I just got to say, like, I've been angry on records before about stuff, but I had never allowed myself to fully show the type of empathy and compassion I have. And that was something I realized that I had hid in that hip-hop veneer like in the 80s and 90s you had to be tough like to wear Jordans to wear the shoes I'm wearing last night at the show you had to risk being on a train someone saying what shoe size are you if you were stupid enough to say it they were going to say run it you know what I mean you so I had built a career off being the tough angry guy and these records allowed me to show where that anger comes from it comes from empathy it comes from compassion it, it comes from sympathy it comes from care and concern and these were the records when we when those records start happening it was just like this is magic i know we're going to top it but i didn't know it was going to be this good we we started here guys and i really want to kind of bring it back to the fact that run the jewels has taken on a life of its own run the jewels to bum rush the billboard charts i mean you guys got on (laughs) billboard charts you basically you know al i remember talking to you when you first got started out in new york and you're basically saying hip-hop is the language the music made out of poverty when you have no money. And you guys have conducted your careers in much the same way, maybe not necessarily voluntarily, but you have been underground, epitomized what underground hip-hop, DIY hip-hop has been for a decade plus. And now you are seeing sold-out shows. You played two sold-out shows last night in Chicago, which I think between the two of you has not happened before individually. Nah. The business model, uh, is there a business model? And is there something that... You know, because I think a lot of a lot of uh, young uh, artists are looking at this and going, "Look at these guys did it exactly on their own terms." What 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 are the keys to doing that? Well, I mean, you know, we, we don't really answer the business question, but you guys are such respectable show. We're going <laughs> to just say this: our business model is we put the records together ourselves. We sacrifice the profits of L doesn't buy a Rolex or a Ferrari. I don't put my kids in the best private schools. They go to good public schools. We take that money. We, we make a record and then we go and partner with a company, um, who, who is willing to invest with us in further express. We own our, we own all our masters. We keep the masters run the jewels is owned solely by LP and Killer Mike. That's, and that's not, that's, it's not for everybody, but that was what works for us. One thing that's been weird for us is, is answering this question because, because people want to know if what we're doing applies, you know, to, to other people. And I would say that um, in some ways it could in, in the model of basically putting the record out for free and doing high end, you know, physical product. And, but really, but what you're, that's not really what you're talking about. What you're talking about, I think, is, is something else. I mean, the fact is, is that bec- we've had, a, 
careers, we've released records for, you know, steadily for, you know, a couple of decades now, essentially. Not quite as long, but... Um, so our, our situation is a little unique. I think it just kind of snowballed. And um, we've always had good careers. Like, we've always been making, you know, dough, and, like, we've always had our lane, you know. Um, our lane is, it was maybe more humble than other people's lanes, but right. it, was, it was a successful one. And, and individually, we both were successful and continued to be with our music. But, um, yeah, Run the Jewels is, a, is a definitely a different situation. And, again, we didn't overthink it. Like, you know, we really didn't overthink it. We, the first one, we just decided that we wanted to put it out for free because it felt right. We had had a great run with our solo records. We, had, we were feeling pretty appreciative, of, uh, and we kind of thought it would be cool to drop something, because I had never done that. Mike, had, maybe you had done that a little bit, but I had never done, like, a free album, you know? I had never done that. You'd done mixtapes. I did a couple yeah. mixtapes. I don't like them. I always was about selling product. I'd rather sell 1,000 real products and give away. My philosophy was that if I sell 10,000, pledges i don't need to worry about the rest of the year so yeah it was a different philosophy for me too to give away music but you know the thing seems to be that there's still so many people in hip-hop and in music in general who have this attitude that somebody is going to make me a star yeah right and what i love about your careers together and apart is you know you had your taste of that and you've decided nobody's going to make me anything. I'm going to make it myself. Yeah. I never had anybody. This is one thing is for sure that in my career personally, nobody ever sort of did this, the reach down and, you know, bring you up a level thing. And, and it wasn't because I want like, you know, I don't think I even thought that that was never even thought it was an option. Never looked for it. You know, I, I was pretty much trying to do my own thing from the from the moment that I stepped into this industry, and and that's how I've been in this industry the whole time. I've really always um, done it that way, and to some degree, maybe that makes it maybe that makes it harder. I think it's harder to rely on dumb luck than it is to rely on some intelligent moves and some hard work and 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 putting the best music out that you possibly can, um, and. When we got to the point where we were doing our thing, I think that um, kind of all bets were off, you know, in a natural way, in the sense that, like, we had all seen the music industry that had been changing. I ran a record label for 10 years, and it was based on a traditional model, and it failed <laughs> miserably, just like the traditional model dictates it would. And, uh, you know, by the time we got to run the jewels, I think that we had gone through at least a lot of the philosophical growing pains. It wasn't the, the new idea wasn't, oh, my God, how do we make money in an age where music is being bootlegged online for free or whatever. For me, my thought about the whole thing was it's more demeaning to me to pretend that the music isn't in your hands already. Like, hey, guys, are you ready for the street date? <laughs> you know, wink, wink. I know you've had it for three months. You know? <laughs> Um, but everybody, please rush to the store in this day because that's important to our business model. And I just thought, well, why don't we just control that moment? Why don't we just make it and, and have it our, be ours? You know, we want to give the gifts to the kid on, on Christmas. We don't want him to run down and open it up before we're awake, you know. Um, and so that's, that's what we did. I and, think, I think yeah. it's important to know, too, it is about the relationship with the fans. Like, I think that the silent agreement that happened with the first free release and this one was, we're going to give it to you for free. If you like it and you really believe in it, 
buy it. If you love it and you really believe in it, buy some more exclusive stuff. If you really, really love it, come out to the shows. Um, we saw the record sell well. We saw stuff getting sold off the Internet store as well. And we were like, oh, man, thanks. You guys really kind of held up your end of this silent agreement. What we didn't expect was a sold-out shows to this degree. The last time, we were happy to get a sold-out show. And it's almost become part of the course now. Um, not that we don't appreciate it or aren't happy, just they – they overabundantly showed us how the agreement is. We've had some merchandise nights where stuff just ran out. You know, we were we were happy to, you know, to to go home with just a little last time. There's we're not going home with merch. So I just like to appreciate the uh, the audience in this business model or I just call it a relationship. They they show us they appreciate us by saying we're going to support cool stuff that you do. We're going to come to the shows. That allows us to continue doing this. You've been listening to uh, Greg and I interview Run the Jewels, Killer Mike LP here at the Goose Island Barrel House. Guys, thanks so much for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having us, man. To watch video of Run the Jewels' entire performance from the Goose Island Beer Barrel House, visit us at soundopinions.org. And we want to hear from you. What did you think of the band's model of releasing free albums? And what other artists are better together than apart? Give us a call at 888-859-1800. Coming up, we review the new album from indie rocker Father John Misty. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Sound Opinions, and that is Father John Misty with the title track to his second studio album, I Love You, Honey Bear, out on Sub Pop now. Greg, Father John is actually Josh Tillman, who started his career, as we mentioned earlier, as a drummer with several indie rock bands, most notably 
Fleet Foxes, although he also toured with Damien Gerardo. In between, he was writing songs and recording DIY singer-songwriter albums. But it was really in 2011 when he quit Fleet Foxes and went on True or Tail, this mystical odyssey traveling up and down the West Coast with the benefit of hallucinogens and finding himself in this new character, Father John Misty. His career really began to take off with that first Father John Misty album in 2012, Fear Fun. Now comes this new album. A lot of anticipation for it. It's getting a lot of attention. We want to play a track and then come back with our reviews. This is a song called Bored in the USA by Father John Misty from I Love You Honey Bear on Sound Opinions. Is this the part where I get all I ever wanted? Who said that? Can I get my money back? Just a little bored in the USA. Oh, just a little bored in the USA. Save me, white Jesus, bored in the USA. Oh, they gave me a useless education, a subprime loan, a craftsman home, keep my prescriptions filled. Now I can't get off But I can kind of deal Oh, with being Bored in the USA Oh, just a little Bored in the USA Save me, President Jesus I'm bored in the How did it happen, bored in the USA? That is Father John Misty with his second solo record, I Love You, Honey Bear. (laughs) And, you know, just saying that, you get a sense of the tone of this record, which is humor is a big part of this. And, you know, Jim, I think indie rock's got a big earnestness problem. There are way too many self-serious people in indie rock, and the former uh, Josh Tillman was one of them. I think he just got sick of that sort of ultra-self-absorbed personality that he was and said, you know, I'm just going to chuck it and be as honest as possible about my true feelings in these songs and have a little fun with it as well. This is basically a cycle of love songs to his wife. You know, how about falling in love with her? It's not easy to write love songs that don't sound sticky and gooey and sentimental, and these are definitely not those type of songs. <laughs> I'll say. Uh, the thing about it is he turns it back on himself as often as he as he puts it out there against the people he's writing about, whether it's his wife or, or somebody else he may be annoyed with at the time. 
very self-deprecating, very skeptical, very funny. I find it very refreshingly honest as well. Indie rock needs more flamboyance in it, as far as I'm concerned. This guy has it. The only reservation I have about this record is musically, I wish it was more flamboyant. He's doing a lot of that Laurel Canyon kind of Cali harmonizing in here. The arrangements are plush and orchestrated. I wish there was a little bit more punch and tension in some of these arrangements. It can sound a little flat. But I, I think on the, on the strength of the, the songwriting, the melodies, and the lyric writing, I'm going to give it a try-it rating. Greg, uh, certain people are allergic to bee or wasp stings, right? And the first time, you know, it breaks out in a little bit of an allergic reaction. And then subsequently, the more they get stung, the, the more lethal it becomes until it can actually kill them. Mm. Well, each subsequent listen, I hated this more. Hmm. And it grew deeper and deeper and deeper. It's like just a vehement disgust with this record at this point. Musical is some of the problem. You said Laurel Canyon. You know, there's no need for us to go back to that very polished Eagles sound of the early 70s. A lot of his champions keep citing Nick Drake or Harry Nilsson. I don't hear either of those either. You know, there is a lyrical problem with this, though. There's a lot of hatred and just plain nastiness in this guy. And we can debate whether he is spoofing an ignorant man who has a lot of hatred for women or a problem with women. Is he playing that role or is that actually him? I don't care. The more I hear those lines, the more uncomfortable I become and the more I dislike him. Then there's this kind of Andrew Bird fond for English professor preciousness when he's lecturing some girl about how she doesn't know what a malapropism is, right? And then later on when he's singing Save Me White Jesus, I was like, wow, I, you know, I, I really hate this record. You don't record. find that funny? I mean, that I, I think what they're referring to is the Nielsen humor. Harry Nielsen was a was a very nasty but humorous guy in himself yeah. in a lot of his yeah. songs. Or Randy, Randy Newman. Newman yeah. Yes, I, 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 no, I don't hear that. I don't hear it as funny. I just hear it as a guy who's trying to be funny, but he's really just pretty nasty. And then the you know the syrup on top of that. I, mean, I don't understand people's fascination with this guy. It's a trash it for me, and it's a try it for you. What do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, the Sound Opinions World Tour arrives in Cuba for an analysis of that country's musical heritage. As always, Greg, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Adam Yaffe and Andrew Gill helped with our Run the Jewels session. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, Evan Chung, and our intern is Alex Claiborne. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline. 888-859-1800 If you're feeling sad and lonely There's a service I can render Tell the one who loves you only I can be so warm and tender Call me Don't be afraid you can call me Maybe it's late but just call me Tell me and I'll be around New Messages Hey, Jim and Greg. I love your show. My name is Lisa, and I'm in Austin, Texas. I just heard the Secret Love episode in which you reviewed Bob Dylan's new album, Shadows in the Night. And I know it's a push for Dylan to cover Frank Sinatra, but I just wanted to say that I'm working on a Valentine's Day mix for my girlfriend. We've been dating for a year, and it's taken me this long to figure out a good mix and... I think Bob Dylan's cover of I'm a Fool for You is perfect. I'm a fool to want you. I'm a fool to 
want you. Frank Sinatra's voice is so sweeping and romantic, and all of the accompaniment is so big and so grand. And Bob Dylan brings this gritty, realistic, very human voice to the song, and I think it's perfect for those of us that have a really hard time making sweeping, romantic gestures. So here's to Bob Dylan, and here's to Valentine's Day. Thanks, guys. My name is Ted Montclair, New Jersey. I heard your review of Shadows in the Night by Dylan. To me, Dylan's real tribute to Frank Sinatra came maybe about 10 years ago. There was a TV special, a birthday special for Frank Sinatra, and Frank requested the Dylan sing Restless Farewell, which was apparently one of Frank's favorite Dylan songs. And at the end, Dylan turns to Frank and says, Happy birthday, Mr. Frank. Happy birthday, Mr. Frank. And that moment just hits you right in the heart, made me want to cry. Thanks a lot. I love your show, guys. Hey, guys. This is Chris in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, calling. I just listened to your uh, Secret Love songs for Valentine's Day episode. I was kind of surprised that you didn't mention the great Clarence Carter at all, probably most known for writing songs about secret affairs and secret love songs from Slip Away and the classic Backdoor Santa, which, of course, from DMC sampled, and even the, the ridiculous version of The Dark End of the Street, where he, he lapses into an enormous long monologue about how folks like to slip around before finally breaking out into song. While horses like to make love, cows like to make love, and mosquitoes like to make love, it's really a classic, in my opinion, partly because of just over-the-top nature. Anyway, really like the show. Thanks a lot. I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm not trying to make you anything at all. Hey, guys, this is Frank in Philadelphia, and I listen to your show on Secret Love, which I liked a lot. Uh, just one comment on I Honestly Love You. What I always thought was interesting about that song was on the Who Wrote It, uh, which didn't get mentioned. Um, it was Jeff Barry, and the other songwriter was Peter Allen, who I know was definitely gay and died of AIDS in 92. When I listened to the song, to me, I always imagined that it was written to another guy. And to me, that was always where the pathos came in. That's always kind of what made the song a little more interesting to me. Because it is pretty sappy otherwise. Just thought I'd point that out, just another way of looking at the song. If we both were born in another place and time, this moment might be ending in a kiss. But there you are with yours, and here I am with mine. So I guess we'll just be leaving it at no more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ.